All right. So we are now going to be talking about the Mission Impossible franchise. We are going to start with the first two Mission Impossible films. Get ready because we are going to be going through all six in the lead up to Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, mm-hmm. um, which is coming out later this time, later this year. Um, so let's get right into it. I got a couple of little bits to get to get through before we get started into our Mission Impossible. We're talking about the first one now, so full spoilers for the first Mission Impossible. Came out in 1996, directed by Brian De Palma, written by David Coep and Robert Town, um, who wrote Chinatown. Um, David Coep, however, was fired. Uh, halfway when this got greenlit and then brought back when it started filming because they were like oh we need someone to help um mm. david coep or cap i've heard cap by the way um I've also he, heard Kep, yeah. yeah he he wrote king indiana jones of the kingdom of the crystal skull which we talked about a couple weeks ago and the first two jurassic park films he's a big steven spielberg guy yep, yep. and um yeah uh tom cruise apparently was really interested in doing this one because he really liked the show uh this is this is the last bit of a little, little little bit to get through it was originally conceived as a sequel to the to the 1966 and the 1998 series 1988 series it was going to be a sequel it's not clear if it is by the time it was it was done i i don't think so i think they they abandoned that but they also said it was meant to be so much so that peter graves who played the character of jim phelps was going to be in this movie and turned it down because he didn't like the direction that Jim Phelps was going to be portrayed in. Every single member of that original show hates this movie. I, mm-hmm. I, I get it. And uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, my mom hates this movie. Yeah. She didn't really? watch the franchise because she was a fan of the show. Yeah. She grew up with the show. Jim Phelps is a good guy. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, like, I think for us, if someone took something that we really liked and made a movie adaptation of it, and they took the protagonist and they made them a bad guy with frankly, not very good motivations, then <laughs> I also wouldn't really like it. That's true. Yeah, I get it. I, I get it. Yes. Uh, so I, I totally understand why people who are fans of the show bounce pretty hard off this one. Um, I think if you were to try to say, like, I don't know what the point is of it, of making it Jim Phelps if it's not a sequel. I don't yeah. think it should be. I think everyone deserves, who likes that show, deserves to not interpret this as a sequel to it. Yeah. But if you are going to do that, boy, do you have to develop that relationship and that character better in this film. True. If that's what you're doing. And I don't think that they do that. So I'm like, why do you even have to keep it that way? Like, just let him be yeah. some other guy who happened to be like the, the team leader and the mentor to Tom Cruise's character. Like, just leave it at that. Yeah. I don't know why we I, have to do that. I, I, I watched the video uh, about like behind the scenes too. And like, yeah, like, like you said, Brandon, like, I, initially it was going to be like a sequel with like the main guy being the bad guy. And I just don't think nobody liked it. So they took it back as much as possible without just removing his name. As They kept his name and took everything but else away. De Palma also didn't want to do a mission impossible movie. He's so an interesting choice for this movie. Cause that's, this is filmography. Like he's not really an action director. He directed Carrie and the untouchables and stuff. And like yeah. Phantom of the paradise, the rock opera horror version of Phantom of the opera. I will. And he didn't want to do this movie. I don't, I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true, but I, I remember hearing that he doesn't even like, he doesn't even like mission impossible. So that could also be why Jim Phelps is in this movie. Cause he doesn't yeah, care. I, 
I will also say in response to that, that I would say that of the Mission Impossible films, this is the least action film one and it's, far more drama. It is. There's like yeah. action-y beats, but it's far more about the drama. Five the gunshots. There are five gunshots in this movie. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was, and actually I quite like, I'll get into my review. I like this movie. I don't love it. I think it's good. I think it, the, the, what I like so much about it, it does feel kind of like a classic, like nineties movie. Like Brian De Palma is a good ass director. And like, I didn't, the the first two Mission Impossible movies are the ones that I've seen the least. Once three hit, uh, I saw three in theaters and I was on board since yes. then. So like coming back to this, I'm like, damn, this is like a this is like a movie. It's not mm -hmm. an action movie. It's a movie. Uh, and like the the like the intrigue and the spy stuff and the paranoia, I really dig. It, this is not the Mission Impossible movies that that uh, it's obviously not what it is now. They are just like giant fun like big action movies. Yes. Um, but like the core of like there's still some of that but like i'm i i like this movie a lot but like i think i like i like it more where it is now i like it being bigger uh because yeah. i the spy stuff in this movie it's good but i can find it in other better places i think then mm -hmm. okay. you go uh yeah this is the, my first time ever seeing this movie and i thought it was good i i definitely you could definitely tell that this is a hard this is a a, a movie out of the 90s a 96 yeah. movie through and through um even seeing like the opening credits of the film, I could be like, <laughs> "Oh, that's probably a, an homage to the original television show." Like a TV show. I, yes, because I, I when I heard, I forgot when I heard that Mission Impossible was a television show before it was a big movie franchise. I'm like, "Oh, like as I'm watching, it's like, okay, there's the homage. Yeah, of course, the theme song, and I think like you know the fuse being lit. It's like mm -hmm. that's you know TV show, and I do agree. Between this and two, this is definitely more of a drama movie." But also, I don't know if it's because of Paramount Plus and how I was watching it, but it was really hard to hear some of the, the dialogue. So I was really trying to listen. I like really had to like up the volume. Uh, I, it's probably my television set too. That's probably the reason why. Interesting. Um, you might yeah. want to look into the sound settings there because Ryan and I did not have that problem. Also watch it on Paramount Plus. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I have. I have. I. Here's the thing, Ben. I have fiddled with my sound settings, and because I, there were many streaming movies that I had really hard time hearing the dialogue. So I messed with my sound settings until I got to to a point where I, where that was fixed. So yeah, I also didn't have that that issue. But it could be because I have fiddled with my sound settings in the past. Yeah. It's probably it's probably just my television set. Either way, um, I do agree. Jim Phelps didn't have really good motivations. I was like, "But why are you still doing this, though?" Did you do? But the intrigue, the who's the mole, who's against him, like who's against Ethan? Why are they doing this? Like seeing Ethan's team go out one by one was heartbreaking. And you're constantly trying to be like, "You're the mole." No, you're the mole. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a cabal of moles. It's like, oh no, but it was just there was just the one or those the two. But it was more. It was more spy, less action thriller, but to finally see the scene where they're going into the terminal and you see the, the infamous scene where he goes down and he like catch it and it's caught right before he hits like Leslie Nielsen is doing right behind uh, Ryan and Sparks right now. To watch that whole scene play out, I was watching with my fiance and we were on the edge of our seats just like, no, we yeah, were actually it's good, man. We were constantly reacting with the scene and how it was playing out it was it was great it was a great thrilling scene especially like when the poor guy is constantly going in and out of the bathroom poor he's, guy. he's just like Ugh. poor it's, dude it's uh it's iconic for a reason and a mm -hmm. decent chunk of it is like 
to your to your point of uh brian de palma like because he's far more about like the drama and the tension rather than the action like what's so powerful about it is the, the structure of the scene itself with the silence the absolute silence that's necessary for john it. reno up there too um, yeah. the fact that it's not just like trying to be sneaky it's that there is a sound sensor in the room and that is part of the tension of it and i think that's all crafted so very well mm-hmm. um that that scene itself earns mission impossible a pretty high mark with me just because the the construction of it is so intelligent it now yeah. i realize that the scene in charlie's angels where she has to like maneuver through a sound thing i'm like yeah. no that's from mission impossible yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah, yeah yeah um i really like the uh I really on on that. I think what what this movie excels at is is a lot of the scenes between the 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 building tension scenes, like with um, Kittredge and Ethan, the first time they meet in the in the yeah. how that how that's filmed, how that's structured, how the conversation is going is it's really incredible. It's an incredible scene, honestly. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. De Palma and his camera angles again, like. This is like this is like an action, Dutch. it's like it's an action movie like that's not an action movie and like specifically like their their conversation like there's a lot of overhead shots where you're like looking up at them and I'm like this is such an interesting like he has such interesting angles that he picks for these shots and I'm like again this is like it's not your traditional it's such an interesting choice to start like a franchise with and yes. he didn't come back for the second one uh, which we'll talk about like for better or worse for the second one but I'm like to set your tone this way and then for them to completely scrap it really interesting because mm-hmm. like i again i love the movies that we got but i could use more of like if like they improved on what this is instead of going big balls to the wall i could like it could have been like a super dope spy franchise yeah. yeah i think i think that the brian de palma is very good the, the scene you highlighted brandon as well with the with kittredge like he's so good at ramping the tension with what he shows you uh visually like the camera gets more off kilter as the conversation with kittredge goes on and then you get ethan's uh acknowledgement and how he shows the shots of the people all around here i've seen already tonight and so they're agents you've had these agents on me um it's it's so well constructed uh and i i I agree with ryan there is an amount of like it's interesting the pivot that they make away from the tone of this entirely um to go hard action in the next one because uh, i think the first born takes a lot of outside of its action scenes lessons from this movie specifically yeah, yeah, yeah. with its idea of the tension of the spy action um bef- beyond like the the actual fight scene that's tony um, gilroy too i baby. think there's a lot of that baked into the born franchise like that born feels like it kind of comes back around the at least the original three specifically the first two i'd say they kind of come back around to the idea of what the initial mission impossible was doing and then add add in some more action in their own way mm-hmm. but um it does feel like that's where the baton gets picked up from here rather than carried on in this franchise like the like again like the paranoia and like who do you trust and like like ethan's on the run like we, like we've done that kind of stuff before but like there's just something about the way that brian palmer fails that we're like i'm really feeling it like it feels like i like the dread and tension is there um i think it's i think it's that ethan uh you ethan is your pov character and ethan is the only person who it ever feels at all times doesn't have all the information yeah yeah until you're getting to the end uh and and like you feel for him because like he's he's constantly just like trying to gather all the pieces uh and he's caught in the middle of it and i think that's executed so well yeah we we brought up like like the team getting taken out which is incredible but like first of all emilio estevez shows up in this movie and guys in 1996 
Emilio Estevez was a megastar. Yeah. So people thought he was going to be in this movie the entire time. So the fact that they kill Emilio Estevez is like a psycho moment. Well, this so is like, like, it's incredible. Oh, like, he was Jack. Yes. So uh, the, I have, I have a, okay, go real quickly, Sparks, go ahead. Yeah. So um, this is another reason why my mom hates the movie. Um, Mission Impossible is all about a team. It's not about a single agent. And like, obviously the franchise becomes baked around Tom Cruise. Yes, he does have other guys and like that becomes more prominent i think in the later entries but the fact that like the entire team is eviscerated around him in the first like you know mission of the film um that also really put her off it was both the gym betrayal and like no this isn't about a team this is about ethan yeah um that was like oh wow this is all just not what mission impossible was before this moment so ryan brought up emilio estevez yes and i'm gonna bring this up I think the first four movies have this. There is a tradition of uncredited cameos in the Mission Impossible films, and Emilio Estevez is this one's. Um, Emilio Estevez has an uncredited cameo because he was so big. They don't want to show that he was in the movie, so that when he showed up, people would think that he would he would stick around. I I question how long is a cameo because he's in the movie longer than like five minutes. It's it's not a, it's not a cameo of it's not a cameo. I'm not saying it's a cameo. <laughs> it is it is what it is called as in the trope of this is an uncredited cameo that that the trend condition c- continues throughout. No, I get you. It's just like when when we generally think of cameos, it's like short and like that dude's a main character. And it's just funny that like there was an entire main character that we didn't know was in the movie because he was so big. It's just an mm-hmm. interesting like marketing thing of like. You think you like again? I don't want they don't want to overshadow Tom Cruise, but like, how much more money could they made if they if you knew the biggest star in the world was in it? It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, but then uh, counter to that because uh, Brian De Palma was talking about it. Like the if they accredited him, if he was on the poster, if he was in there, people would expect to see Emilio. But what? having it be a surprise and then killing him, I think is probably more palpable to uh, yeah. I think scream to, uh, like scream like very much showcases Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. as like is like being in the movie, and then they kill her immediately. Same here, right? 96? Ooh. Yeah. Good year. Uh, I kind of feel like John Voight sleepwalking through this role. I do too. Yeah. And it bums me out because like, a, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the man himself. He's kind of a shit. But um, it it does feel like, man, if you're going to go this route, like I really wish someone was actually delivering an important relationship with Ethan here. Yeah. And I'm just not getting it. Like, I don't, really care or invest in John Voight's Phelps uh, to any extent. And so it makes the moment where like we should feel with Ethan about him dying when we think he died. I'm kind of like, it's also really funny that like everyone has like, he has like a camera on him and it's like, he just like fake shoots himself. Yeah. And I'm like, I, Oh, he bought that. On, on that was so funny. To, what, what's so not funny. But what I think is really cool about this movie is that if you've seen it more than once, I look, I've only seen it twice, but I kind of knew, I kind of knew the trajectory it was going, but the De Palma doesn't hide anything from the viewers. Not really. He doesn't, he's not putting focus on the fact that there are people looking at Ethan and the other agents, but you can see them. If you're looking at the random waiter, he's there. And so yeah. when Ethan flashes back to it, realizing he saw it too, the audience is like, oh, right, I saw it. So you're yeah. on this journey with Ethan in that way. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, in that note, it's very funny to me that when we see the guy who Ethan is pretending to be, the real one on TV, it is also just Tom Cruise in, a, in the mask because yes. they could not, at the time, hire an actor and then also 
make it believable for the face-off bit that Tom Cruise. He does have actually two characters in this. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It's the Russian guy in the beginning and the other, the other, the other like uh, glasses guy. But they specifically filmed Tom Cruise both times. Yes. So yeah, yeah, he yeah. would look, it would be easier for him to look like them. Yes. Uh, so yeah. that was on. Purpose. Yeah, I knew it was the Russian guy for yeah. the opening scene. Uh, as well. But there's but the like, other guy. It's fun, well. but but we never see the real Russian guy, but we yeah. do see the real guy on the TV screen. And no, that's Tom Cruise. No, no, no. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Okay, sorry, see, yeah. We don't see the person he's pretending to be. Sure. When it's him as the Russian, so like we don't have the comparison of how goofy that would be. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. We do see the person he's pretending to be on the television, and that is Tom Cruise in a mask because. <laughs> that's how they had to some do people it. just look really similar to tom cruise and you know he looks you know, like john uh john uh, mr possible 2 gets a lot of flack but it is the one that introduced the voice change to the franchise sure yeah i'm let me tell you i'm excited i rewatched mr possible 2 that's all i'm gonna say uh well i mean you're gonna say more but not right now yeah um uh yeah uh the the old way of watching a movie on a plane i just i just the it's so nice to watch screen. an old thing like that mm-hmm. and like uh yeah you gotta put your cassette in bring up your little bar <laughs> this uh ruin that plane's cassette player because yeah. it had to explode um that is very much a full-blown tribute to exactly the format of that message delivered in the show that's how they delivered it like straight up the words for jim phelps like all of that i get that that's completely lifted out of the show and i'm like for the for the people that love the show it's like wow it's really cool because this is before the shit hits the fan mm-hmm. <laughs> um right ryan, ryan mentioned the the gunshot and um the the point that i was kind of getting to that i want to that i want to kind of put a capper on of the of the idea that De Palma doesn't doesn't hide anything from us is that if you're looking at it you can tell that that's jim shooting himself like he, you see the arm kind of turn around. It looks see, weird. Yeah. yeah, it looks weird. It's not someone. For, so like you, if you can. So when you're told that that's Jim Phelps, you're like, yes, that, that did look weird. And that is why it looked weird is because mm-hmm. it was Jim. But yeah. what I also like about that scene is that you're so on board with Ethan that you believe for me i believed it like i saw yeah. the gun i didn't think it was like oh that's a weird way to move a gun i was just like no not jim i was like no the, his team is dying around him why are all these friends dying i thought for real that he was dead and even when um like when he has his like little nightmare and jim is walking through the door and he's hallucinating it's like oh this like this is like he actually does have a connection i mean i do agree john boy's sleepwalking through his role through his performance but Ethan obviously has a connection to him. And when we see Jim again at the telephone in London, I, I'm like, oh, no, he's Ethan's hallucinating again. But it's like, oh, is he re-? like I could not tell you how many times my fiance and were like, is he real? Is that actually yeah. real? Or is he hallucinating? Oh, shit, he is real. OK, OK. Yeah, John, it sucks because like John Boyd is a good actor, right? Like, yeah, again, like he's, he's a shithead or whatever. But like, like I, I think he's trying to be like, I'm calm, cool, collected. But John Voight's not really that kind of guy. Like, I think that he just miscast in this role. I think you got to got somebody like cooler, maybe to be like, you know, he's like, he's very reserved. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think, I think John Boyd's a really good villain. He is such a good villain. I don't know if like kind of being like the, the quasi hero uh, mentor role. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen every one of his movies, but like, I don't like, he didn't really work for me in this movie. And like, yeah. I've seen him in Anaconda where he's like, he's chewing up the scenery as a villain. So I'm like, I know he's got it. I just think that like, if the point of it is this deep betrayal for Ethan, it's not developed well. No. And I think that is the thing that hurts the movie, especially in the third act when we get to like him catching on to Jim and everything is that I'm like, I kind of, I, I, Tom Cruise is bringing it, but like, I don't, this is a one way thing. I'm not yeah. getting the development of a relationship. I'm not getting the idea that like the implication of their history and what this should mean to, to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
isn't coming off of John Voight's gym. 100%. And I think that's a huge miss for the story they're trying to tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of, I was, I was seeing a scene in my head of John Voight and I'm like, this, I don't know what this is from. Like it was just playing in my head. It was from Transformers. Right, was it the, right. which scene was it? Cause I was replaying. It's John the one Voight when scene. he's, it's, it's, in the, it's the one where, where uh, frenzy is trying to kill, is trying to kill them. Yeah, okay. Because he's the defense secretary. Anyway, yeah. John Voight's John Voight is surprisingly good in that one, which is not something I can say about his role in this one. Nope. Yeah, he just yeah. he just doesn't seem like he cares. And I don't know if that's true or not or or what, but like it it does feel like he's not invested. Like it, the the frankly, the scene that should be the most interesting um as far as like performance is the one where he catches up with Ethan and they're sitting across the table and he's telling him the lies and Ethan is figuring out that it's him. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting on Ethan's, on end, Ethan's but it's, side, it's but good. it's just like bland as hell coming off of Voight. Like it yeah. is just nothing, nothing yeah. interesting happening there. Um, and it should be one of the like best scenes in the movie. It's on half a great scene. Like in an idea. Yeah. Yeah. One actor is like giving their all. The other is just like, Oh, it was it was Grebovich or whatever his name is. It was the other guy. I'm Kittredge. Okay. It was Kittredge. He, he, he blame uh, Jim Jim Phelps blames Kittredge. Yeah. yeah, and like yeah. you as an audience don't really believe him. Mm-hmm. Like even as he says it, because like the the performance feels just empty. Mm-hmm. John, I don't feel it's it's like it's like he's not even actually trying to convince Ethan. You know who's an actor that I always like, no matter what he's in, John Reno. Yeah, that's him. true. He is so cool. I don't care what he's doing. Uh, he can be scared of rats all day long and almost kill Ethan. I don't care. You tried. You did your best. I really love the scene between him and Ethan with the with, when Ethan's doing the close up magic. Yes, on the necklace. That mm-hmm. it's such. It that is just like two good actors in a room acting, and I'm like mm-hmm. hell yeah. I think it's yeah. also important to like give Ethan personality. Yeah, yeah. Like I mm-hmm. think it's a big part of what defines who Ethan is. Um, that like mission impossible 2 will mention it that like he's always grinning on the job yeah um ethan loves his job and i don't actually think that's established a lot in this movie because he's in the midst of his team being taken out yeah he we're yeah, we yeah. him in a crisis basically but that scene and his his play with max really shine how ethan enjoys his work question that yeah. was an ampetunio who was max right no no okay they just look very similar to me. I, thought, uh, I was like, I, is it love, I do love her. I I love Maxine in this movie. Uh, I I I really enjoy her presence and and all the scenes are based around her. I think are a ton of fun. Yeah, she is. Yeah. she's fun. I agree. I do I do like Vin uh, Vin Rames. Oh, Vin Rames is fantastic. Luther. I love Luther. I love I, I love Luther forever. He's in all of them. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Or, or and, he no, he's in all of them because oh, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, like Tom, isn't it's not. I don't think it's his contract, but Tom Cruise will always insist that insist that Bing Rames is in a is in a Mission Impossible movie. Is it? He's great. Isn't? Is it one of them where he's only in like a small portion of the movie? He now? is in the end of four. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's almost not in it, but he is in it. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. I I knew there was one. He got um, him in there somehow. He uh, makes it in just into the wire. It's a great introduction. I really I. Ving Rhames is one of the best parts of the Mission Impossible franchise, and uh, it's a great introduction of his character. I really enjoy yeah. it. I really love uh, the scene where he's talking about. I really love his introductory scene, but I also really love the scene where he where he's given the knock list by Ethan, and he goes, "I will not let this get out in the open." Yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The knock list. Also, one of the most used plots in spy history, but I will never get tired of it. I love it. Cause there are, yeah. they're always secret agents with identities. Yeah. Gotta get found. Um, one of the other, also one of my other favorite scenes is uh, the, the movie where they're having a beer in England and he's like, you know, I'm going to miss being disreputable because you can tell he likes being a bad guy, but he likes being a good guy more. And, um, uh, the, uh, uh, there's a line in this movie real quickly that I just want to highlight. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is Kittred's line in the dinner scene where he says, "You want to shake hands of the devil? That's fine with me. I just want to make sure you do it in hell." Mm-hmm. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah, Kittredge is cool. Um, I do have a small problem with the setup of Kittredge. Uh, convince the mole is Ethan, which is that it's simply. I wish that the agents that were down by the water when um, when she walks over to their target and he's been stabbed by the fence had already left the area like to either to follow where Ethan went or something because the fact that they don't go and see what happened to her and realize Ethan wasn't there. It like, you could argue that he has other people working with him just as Jim did. But like the fact that that's not even a part of it rubs me the wrong way. Um, it's a small nitpick, but it is a nitpick. Like the fact that they're just kind of there by the water and they don't tail her doesn't make a lot of sense, especially because they don't know for a fact that Ethan's the mole. It could be her. So I don't know. That's fair. Um, the is this the only men- is this the only movie where we get a mention of his family? Of his mom like and parents? dad? I think so. Like his like his mom and uncle. I don't think we've ever we ever hear about them again. I no. I want to say. Oh, I. Uh... I could be just making shit up, but I think he talks about them very briefly with Michelle Monaghan's character, the the, mm-hmm. the lady he ends up with in one of the three or four. But I I could just be making shit up. Well, we'll find and, out. We'll find we're gonna out. watch them later. It's true. We'll find out. I I real quickly, I real quickly, just I do have a point with that, um, which is that I just I I like that inclusion to kind of give Ethan a bit more sympathy mm-hmm. uh, by the audience. I I think that was smart. Yeah. Um, I like Kittredge. I like how Kittredge puts the squeeze on him. Um, I going back to that scene that it, like John Voight sleepwalking through. Um, what I do like about it is Ethan, as you are visually being given by De Palma, not what really happened, but Ethan interpreting what happened, and specifically that he pictures Claire detonating the car, and then he's like, no, 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 I can't think of her that way yet. And so he pictures Jim instead. Um, And like, you're never told exactly which one of those is the one that happened. But it is Ethan trying to fill in the blanks. And I like that a lot, that you are given very clear visual language of like, this is Ethan running through the events and trying to figure out how this could have happened. Yeah. Uh, I I agree. agree. That's a good, it's, it's honestly on Tom Cruise's part, a pretty good scene. Yes, I agree. Um, the uh, what I like and what I think makes is part of what makes the whole get in and get the actual list scene work mm-hmm. is that the movie turns into a heist uh, for that specifically and like in every way that they structure it it is a heist uh, for that section and it, and it just like changes up the flow of the movie at that point um, for that section and it just it's a nice feeling to be in on it uh, because up to that point you are kind of like Again, like Ethan, just kind of like floating around being like, what's happening? And then like you get grounded and you're like, okay, we're making a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I really, I really dig this. I really dig this one. I think that uh, 
honestly, I didn't I didn't get my initial thoughts, but I really like this. Like I I, I really think this one is is awesome. Um, not in the way that they get, but like I I had a thoroughly good time with this one. It's it's operating in a different field, but like it's excelling in it. Uh, yeah. Again, like there's a different world where like we kept it in this trajectory instead of going more big and bombastic. And again, like. I love the world we're in because they're the best action movies ever made. But like, like I, this makes me like kind of thirsty for more like paranoid spy shit. I'm like, Oh, all right. I wish Claire were a more relevant part of the movie. Oh yes. I do too. For her being connected to Jim's story. Like it's never even clear why she's in on it. Their marriage doesn't even feel real. Part of that is the age gap of 35 years between yes. the actors oh my god he's like yeah he's double her age but because the the marriage never even feels real and then you get to like john voight kind of not giving a shit about her openly when yeah. like all the jig is up it's like why why even make her part of this also it's, it's honestly on the level of like the movie's a better movie if claire's just not in the rest of it if she did die with the rest of the team yeah um also like in the in like the in like the the opening uh, TV part of like the, the movie where it's like, you know, the, here's all the characters. There's a scene of, of him, of uh, Ethan kissing Claire. That's not in the movie. Yeah. So I'm like, they're setting you up for literally nothing as well. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. And like, I don't, I don't really like that angle either where Jim like throws that at him. Like, yeah, Claire got one over on you because uh, you couldn't keep it in your pants, Ethan. And I'm like, did she? Because like, that didn't really seem like the story we it, were telling. And this is no shade on the actress. I think just like from a story perspective, the only useful thing that happens with Claire is her going in and helping them take care of the list and stuff. And like that, she's the one who squirts the thing into the, to the coffee mug and everything. But I'm like, man, I just wish we kind of found a different character to do that because like, it doesn't make sense to have Claire functionally be part of the betrayal with Jim. I don't think it works. I don't think the, the only thing I like about the reveal is that it is Ethan pretending to be Jim and that's how he catches her. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. I love how he pulls that over on her. But like, again, on the Claire front, it, I, it, it, like it just—it means nothing. And in fact, it would make Jim a little more frightening uh, if it was that he like killed his wife on this mission. And that is part of what has convinced Ethan it wasn't Jim up until a certain point. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Be more villainous. Yeah, I, I mean, like these first there. two movies do not treat women well. No, and especially yeah. have characters that speak very poorly of women and john void is definitely one of them yeah um and it's a real big bummer on a rewatch but uh that that being said um maxine's great yep and i love I, her you know i got um i got interestingly enough every whenever they were on screen tom hanks and the woman who plays maxine i was reminded of vin and helen mirren and their just electric chemistry on screen yeah do you mean yeah. Tom cruise i'm no, I mean, I mean, I, the the in the, the Fast and Furious franchise, Vin Diesel and Helen Mirren. No, no, no. He, said, he said Tom, Tom Hanks earlier. Did I say Tom oh. Hanks? I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom, yeah, but Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're movie. talking about Vin and Helen Mirren. But the the because Vin and Helen Mirren have some it's some spicy chemistry and 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 those Fast and Furious movies that they're in. And uh, I was feeling very much the same way here. I was like, oh, you guys got you guys are flirting. Dun 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 dun. Uh, yeah, love that. Love those scenes. Love that actress. Um, just running through a couple of uh, choice things. Uh, what I really like that is a franchise staple is that's established is Ethan cannot allow a mission to fail. He's very bad at it. When we mm-hmm. are um, at them being outside the wall, he's very determined to find any way to make the mission succeed. And it is something that I think works for the character's pathos of 
his determination to try and keep the mission going forward when Jim says abort, uh, he thinks is what gets everyone killed. Yeah. Until until he realizes what's really going on. But like, I, I think that really works. And I think that's a strong establishment. Like that is a big, big consistent for Ethan is that he he's very, very bad about letting the mission turn to failure. He will not allow it. Nothing's impossible. Yeah. The uh, when he takes out the when he takes out the the glasses. Mm-hmm. Just push them on. <laughs> yeah, that's a real good. That's a real good sneaky bit with Kittredge. Oh, fun fact: um, the "Good Morning, Mr. Phelps" line. Um, it is a line from the show. It was also going to be the title of a series that never made it to full production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, as a sequel series to to Mission Impossible, where Mr. Phelps was going to be like running the IMF. Ooh, uh, speaking of uh, Mission Impossible in the eighties, uh, that show died because of the writer strike. Mm. No, yeah. But- 80s Rider Strike. It was originally going to be a a basically shot for shot remake of the original show, just with higher production value. Uh, and then they couldn't do that, and they tried to do something else, and it apparently was just awful, and it got canceled. Um, uh, Peter Graves apparently um, beloved in that role um, of Jim Phelps, which which is something that always kind of kind of shocks me. Yeah, I I mean, like, grow up with a show, love a show. Sure. Leonard Nimoy um, was in the first one, by the way. Huh? Leonard Nimoy was originally the main character of the first Mission Impossible mm-hmm. series. Uh, Brian De Palma has a lot of good, interesting camera choices. We kind of touch on the Dutch angles and everything. I specifically really like the elevator stuff in the opening of the film. You know, we get like a good, you know, seeing through the wall kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think all the elevator action in that sequence is is well thought out and executed really well. It looks well. great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian De Palma really knows what he's framing. I think the only time that it gets a little dicey is around the train scene because there is such an amount of visual effects going on that like... Yeah. I think the train scene is pretty thrilling, but I do think like we get a little bit away from the tone of everything else we've been shooting yeah. up to that point. And I was um, watching that. I was watching that bit, and I was like, "Man, if he was filming this today, he'd be on a real bullet train." <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it's true. Uh, I really love the firefighting firefighter angle for getting in. I think that's that's a really yep. cool uh, way of them doing it. Um, I love uh, how the score cuts out and uses silence again as tension when um, Ethan, uh, like the moment before everyone starts dying and Ethan's trying to like in a panic and he can't find Jim and he doesn't know what's happening. Um, And like all, all of it starts to get quieter and quieter and quieter and then everything's really going wrong. Uh, I I think silence in general is utilized very well by De Palma as a weapon in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, a couple of last ones. Uh, I really love the setup of the scene for Ethan telling Max not to use the disc. I think that's just all very good. He's like, oh, you got like, what, two minutes? One minute? Um, the the camera shot when he meets the guy who's going to take him to Maxine, that's his POV, and he comes up to the guy, and it gets him all the way into the car. Uh, it's just a really smooth camera move, which is all the more impressive for the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really, really like it. I think it looks really good. Um, and I really love the way the score comes in and like, cause we've been so long without it at the end of the, uh, getting the list scene yeah. once the knife hits and he sees it yeah. and that's when the score starts to build again. And like, you've, you've had it taken away for such a long time. I think it's a really good beat. 
Um, so I really like that. And the last note I'll say is it's absolutely wild to me that the movie ends on the song Dreams by the Cranberries in the final <laughs> theme for Luther and Ethan. I'm like, man, the 90s, what a weird song. Choice. It is a, certainly an issue. I love that song, but what a choice yeah. to end your Mission Impossible drama. Yeah. Uh, to, end, to end just real quickly, because um, uh, we, we've only touched on the train sequence a little bit, but um, not really much to say about it, um, the train action sequence. But I really, I really do like the uh, the the the, ti- the kind of um, payoff. Red light, green light, <laughs> throws it on the thing and jumps off the, off the helicopter. Oh, the I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a weirdly, and I think I, honestly, it's like on this extra who does a good job, but like it just feels so tonally different from anything else in the movie to an extent of the guy who like when the train finally stops and like the helicopter blade doesn't <laughs> nick Ethan. And then there's the guy who just, the guy who basically looks like he walked out of Whoville and faints. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, that's a weirdly goofy bit, but sure. <laughs> Some levity. I was going to say, um, it's like if you find a helicopter in a tunnel, it's like, go faster. Don't stop. Yeah. Uh, I really yeah, that tunnel. Cool idea to take the helicopter down with the train into the tunnel. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. lot of fun. But that was, awesome. it, was, it was clipped on. Yeah, they just do trap themselves into like a, a real weird visual effects moment for the 90s that like yeah. It, yeah. It, it holds up the worst of everything else that's in here just as in a visual sense. But like the far more problematic is the fact that John Voigt basically doesn't say another word after he gets mm-hmm. to the roof. And like, yeah, you're not a very important character. So who gives a shit? Yeah. I will one little thing. I say I like I like the gadgets. I mean, there were a lot of gadgets. Like the the gum is really good. The camera and the glasses is really cool. And of course, I I don't know why, but I like the scene. It's the train scene where you only see someone with a boombox and they're assembling a gun out of it. It kind of reminds me like man with a golden gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever spies have. Like they take a seemingly innocent object and they're like, ha, it's a weapon. I love. Uh, uh, because this is 1996 and you know technology is only so advanced but like they put like something in your ear like and I can hear you just like you're next to me yeah. and I'm like oh technology <laughs> oh it's so advanced oh no the internet when he's using the internet oh my god that is so how, how like old how ass man just, internet <laughs> open what do you say open internet yeah Oh, those web pages the, he found were hilarious. Even when, even when they, even when, uh, what's his face is telling, he's like, we picked something off the internet. It's like the way he says it. I'm like, oh my oh, god, nineties yeah. baby. You could definitely tell the internet was brand spanking new. All right, so I got a question for you guys. Do sure. we want to? Do we want to rank it a <gasps> or a? What do we want to rank it? What was the first one from? It's 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 Vin Diesel's. Is this gonna be the best one yet? In my heart. Ooh. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Well, it wasn't uh, the worst one then, so at least you got that one. Um, yeah. those both sound like they're bad sounds. <laughs> but one's one 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 is here. Maybe hear it again. One is, <laughs> and one is. I will give it an eight out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to choose, I would go ooh because I think that's a better one. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, a classic, uh, great uh, kind of like because it's been a while since the unexpected of what I thought it was going to be action movie. Uh, yeah. I think it's a great time. 
Yeah, I uh, I'll I'll piggyback off that. And say I also give it an eight out of ten. It's it's really a shame to me because I think it could approach, honest to God, a nine to ten range if you took Claire and either developed her better or took her out of the story and replaced John Voight with someone else who gave a shit. Yeah, and like yeah. I think if you did those two things, this movie's like really really good. Yeah, like it could be really really great if it, if like the villain was actually delivering something for the character development of Ethan. And like, it's just John Voight not giving a shit really brings it down. But everything else about it is like, especially for the time, like Brian De Palma crafted a very tight, very thoughtful tension spy thriller. Yeah. Um, eight out of 10, it still holds up pretty well. Ben, what do you want to uh, I give it a, <coughs> a, Ooh, I give it a 7.5. Honestly. Um, it's it's dated, but it's not bad dated. I mean, parts of it are bad dated, but it's still a really good drama spy film. I mean, you you got it, mystery, you got intrigue, you got you cheering for Ethan, you're kind of figuring out the story along, or you're figuring out the plot along with them. So, and also, I mean, it has a, that 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 terminal scene is amazing. It truly is filled with tension, and I can see why pop culture has been spoofing it for years since the movie came out. Um, definitely. It's definitely the first of a franchise, but it's it's still good. It's a good foundation for what's to come. To to your point, Ben, of like a p- part of it being dated, like I really do think like circling back, it's just the train thing. But I will say that I do think it, it serves the movie very well that it is not so action oriented. Yes. I do think if yeah. they tried to go harder on the action, a lot of those action scenes probably wouldn't hold up very well. Oh, yeah. yeah, frankly, yeah, yeah. the first Bourne doesn't hold up very well in terms of its action scenes. They were so new to the idea of what they were doing. Like, it's really jarring to look back on. But uh, because it went for just so much tension and drama, this movie actually ends up holding up very well. I agree with that. Um, I, I'm I'm with the two of you. It is an eight out of ten for me. Um, I had a really good time with this one re- revisiting it. I haven't done it in quite a while. Um, I I think Tom is excellent. Um, this is, yeah, um, yeah, eight out of ten. I don't really have much more to add. Um, all right, shall let's move on to Mission Impossible Two. Um, wow! <laughs> uh, came out of the year two thousand, directed by John Woo. Director of Face Off. Um, written by Robert Town, just him this time. Uh, but with story, and I brought story credit here because this is so interesting to me. Ron Moore, the creator of Battlestar Galactica, and Brandon Braga, the executive producer of Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation and Onward. Weird. What a wild team. Yeah, I don't I don't see I don't feel them on this whatsoever. <laughs> um then the uncredited cameo for this episode is Anthony Hopkins, and I don't know why. I think he's awesome. His little five minutes are great. He's such a little, little, little ass. Uh, he's so mean. This is he has the best line in the movie. The best line in the movie is like, well, it's not mission possible. Even. It's, <laughs> it's, not mission difficult. it's not mission this difficult. Is, it's not mission it's difficult. This difficult. should be a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a cake block for you. Yeah. <laughs> this is mission impossible. Mission difficult yeah. should be a God. The fact when he shows up, I'm like, why are you here? I, so, don't, I don't know. So he's supposed to be Ian McKellen. Fun fact. Yes. Oh, and and one of those this is yo mission impossible 2 is it it it, i'm not joking fundamentally changed genre fiction forever because there are two people in this movie uh that that uh uh, in terms of recasting that x-men and lord of the rings their major stars would be different and we'll get into one ian mckellen was in lord of the rings he was gonna do it impossible even though it was a small shoot it still was gonna be scheduling issues so you mean x-men or lord of the rings lord of the rings for ian mckellen okay yeah uh he was fine for x-men okay um Doug Ray Scott, who is the villain of this movie, he was cast as Wolverine. 
he was Wolverine oh, in X-Men. God bless that that didn't happen. And he got injured doing the motor- motorcycle stunt in the in the finale of this movie. So because of Not scheduling, um, I think he's he's a he's a good actor. But like we 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 did better with Hugh Jackman. But Hugh Jackman was brought in like two weeks before filming. Like uh, we need an actor because the guy got hurt. Uh, for, and so like we lucked out on on on, 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 on because of Mission Impossible Two. Well, at least Mission Impossible Two's legacy is good for something. Yeah. Hey yeah. man. Uh, um. I'm not gonna say this is a good movie, but y'all, I had a really good time. This has the lowest, of, probably the whole franchise, the lowest lows for sure. But uh, I, I love John Woo. Uh, you did mention Face Off. He's also he's probably Hong, the Hong Kong cinema godfather of action movies. Uh, hard boiled, hard target, the killer. Like the dude is the dude is bona fide badass. <coughs> um, and he is, if anything, he feels a little restricted in this movie with how violent of a filmmaker he is. Mm. Um, he is incredibly violent. He makes only rated R movies. So the first thing that happens in this movie is a silent neck snap. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the beginning is awesome. And then some of the Tandy Newton stuff is is a little questionable. Tandy anyway. Anyway, thank you. Uh, Tandy Way, because I looked Tandy up way, the DHs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tandy Way, thank you. Um, I think the action in this movie is awesome. And I, I eat camp up. Like this is not an accident the way this movie is made. This is this is a Hong Kong filmmaker making an American action movie, and I get people not liking this movie. Uh, again, it has the lowest lows. Like I think there's some really bad shit in this movie. Uh, that final action scene is incredible and really fun, and the inspiration for a lot of things I grew up with. Uh, I think this movie is super fun in the same way Too Fast Too Furious is. Not a good movie. I'm glad I watched it. Hell of a good time. Sure. I. I so when this movie started. I would. I think the opening is awesome. Um, right up till Ethan throws the glasses and the and the and the thing and the nice with the theme song. I th- I'm like, hell, oh my god, yeah, I've been wrong about this movie my whole life. I'm about to become like I became a Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift lover. I'm about to become a Mission Impossible Two lover. Let's let's do this. But as it got as it kept going, I lost interest. And by the time we get to the final action sequence, I believe it's too long, and I've and I've checked out of the movie. Sure. I completely second that because there are parts of this movie, especially during the second act into the third act, I felt like the movie was dragging, and I was, re- I was like, I don't want to check to see how long it's going to be, but I really hope this movie ends soon. I could def, I mean, this the action piece in um the bio t- in Biosign where they're trying to where Ethan's trying to destroy the virus and only one survives. I think that's a great uh c- scene, especially with Ambrose like doing the whole like I know exactly what he's going to do because I played Ethan before. I love that. And I th- and like he know he's every step of heaven. I think that's a great scene, and Ethan's just falling for the trap. I think it's I think that's really cool. Um, but there were parts of this movie where I'm just like I'm kind of like that scene in um holy grail my python where they're like get on with it i will say before you guys give your thoughts i this movie is incredibly is way too long and uh after the 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 bio the bios sign or bio biosec or whatever uh action scene i was like okay this feels like the end of the movie right and i looked and there's still 30 minutes and i do think it should be 90 and i do think there there is great action afterwards but i definitely felt like oh man i i this movie's dragging um mm-hmm. i think yeah. the motorcycle chase is better than the final fight to an extent um i'll get into that i i'm pretty negative on this one mm-hmm. um i don't think this is john Woo's finest showing by, no. by a pretty pretty large margin and whether that's faults of his own in some cases or faults of 
people on the crew or um, the studio specifically, the editing in this is terrible. Um, and I don't just mean that because of like John Woo's own style of filmmaking, there's a lot of really inventive camera shot decisions that John Woo makes here that I really, really like. Um, it, 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 the problem is that um, he, not him, I'm not gonna say it's him. I'm gonna say it could potentially be studio interference or editor, I don't know but the editing is bad. There's a consistent breaking in the action scenes of the 180 degree line that frankly gets confusing. There are um, shot clips. There's this one part in the final fight where like Tom Cruise is punching Ambrose and like it is it is a different shot midway through, but it, it's the same, like it's a, just a different take. And uh, and he comes back for the other punch, but if you watch like it clips, he's out of place all of a sudden. Like it's it's literally a different take where they liked the third punch better on that one for some reason. So they they clipped it in, and like it's it's ugly. It is just really ugly editing. What and if I told you the first cut of this movie is three and a half hours? God. So I totally believe that the editing. Uh, obviously, no movie should be that long, especially a Mission Impossible movie. But right. like. He he shot for the stars, and I think they were like, "You got to make this a two-hour movie." So shit got cut badly, and, and that that could be what we end up with as a final product. Just it's it's not uh, it's not the best of what I think John Woo could do with action. And then the other part of it, and I will say that this isn't entirely on this film. I am uh, like Ryan. I came in at three and invested forward um, when I went back to look at when I went back to look at two. Uh, three, four, and what would be the rest of the series was already in my head. And this, to me, doesn't feel like Mission Impossible. Um, it feels so away from the first one and yeah. then away from the rest of them that I'm like, this just doesn't feel like it belongs. Like, I I, I barely get the idea of Ethan in this. I, I don't feel He's like... He's not the it, same character at It all. doesn't feel like it lives in the world. Um, the tone of it is all wrong. Like, it just... it just it, Even if it's retroactive, it just no longer belongs in the franchise to me. And so it makes it really hard to engage with in that way. And again, not entirely this movie's fault, but in it, it, it's so trapped by its uh, time period and the idea of what an action movie should be. And I think specifically like a big blockbuster action movie should be and not necessarily what a John Woo action movie This should also be. came out a year after The Matrix, by the way, everyone. <laughs> oh, no wonder. I could, I could that, tell the, the I, Matrix. Shot. I think the studio specifically, like they wanted to get a big action guy like John Woo. Uh, the Matrix is inspired by John yes. Woo movies, among other things. Right. So I have to imagine they're like, hey, can you do what you do for us in this thing? And then we'll edit the shit out of it and to make it... Make it the highest grossing movie of the year, by the way. It was the highest grossing movie of 2000, yeah. which is bananas. It was the first movie to be in 3,000 screens. That's crazy. Big oh movie. <laughs> That's crazy to think. Um, yeah, I don't think this movie's particularly good, but like, it is John Woo still doing his thing. So like, I find tremendous value in this movie. Uh, I'm never going to rewatch it ever again. What I will redo is rewatch the scenes on YouTube where uh, they have a motorcycle fight. Um, That's It's just... It is... I can't imagine watching this in the theater in the year 2000. Like you love that first Mission Impossible movie. You're like, cool, I'm getting another, like maybe a Brian De Palma spy thriller. And it opens with Hans Zimmer whip whipping guitar, which I think, I think the score for this movie, you know, it is not the Mission Impossible standard. I think it's awesome for what this movie is trying to do. Hans Zimmer was given, make a rock version of Mission Impossible and he did it and he nailed it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I want, I want to say some, some positives also um, because on that, yes, the music, I actually really like the music. Um, the the moments, especially when it goes like really hard, I think oh, are yeah. re I think effectively build up hype again. 
um, Hans Zimmer is doing some legwork uh, in this in this movie, and it shows in a good way. Oh yeah, 100%. And, uh, the uh, the 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 opening is just awesome. Like honestly, like I really I really like the opening when with the the doctor and then everything up until like I just I already said it, but like everything up until the the igniting thing. Like I. I'm like really invested in the in the movie. That's the that's when I'm mostly invested in that film. In this film is is in this moment. Yeah, because you can already t- you can immediately tell. Uh, well, not immediately. Sorry. After a while, you can tell like Tom Cruise is acting a little shifty. He's acting a little and yeah. uh, uh, like you know nega Tom and nega Ethan. And then you know obviously they do the, the mask thing and like I. It's a good reveal. I think there's there's, a, there's like twelve thousand more mask reveals in this movie, but honestly, a lot of them work for me because like. You know, it's just I'm I'm here for it. Like, I'll um, even say all of them work for me. I I I like every reveal of Ethan of evil Ethan. I like when we every single time we learn who it is, and then when when Ethan puts the mask on the guy that on the the guy who lost the his finger, um, st- stab stam, you um, mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah or, or stamp I think stamp. Yeah. Uh, I I think I think that that is that that's awesome when it's revealed that it's it's actually Ethan. I yeah. really, maybe because I, I, how much I dislike John Voight, I really <laughs> like Ambrose as a villain. Like, I always also, I love the trope of having, like, the mere villain. Like, I am like you, but the dark side of you. Uh, I think that's awesome. And again, I think my favorite scene is Ben when he's like, I know exactly what Ethan's going to do. So Ethan's like, oh, the ground's too thin, so I go to upstairs. I know Ethan's going upstairs. We're going to go from the ground. And I'm just like, that's some awesome villain spy shit. I it don't is. know what, why he is evil. They don't really say why he decided to go evil, right? And again, like I, I it doesn't super bother me because like the the vibe this movie's throwing off. It's just like who cares? Um, but like I really like him and his whole crew. It's also really funny that his entire crew are all like really good character actors who I love. Um, uh, Stamp uh, is the bad guy from Moulin Rouge, my favorite musical. Yep. Uh, Richard Roxborough, he's an awesome villain. And I love that dude in anything he shows up in. Uh, I think his whole crew, like the tech guy, he's a villain in so many things. And he has like no lines. But I'm like, I know you. Dominic Purcell from Legends of Tomorrow is one of the bad guys in this movie. Doesn't say a word. He's in this entire movie. I love it. Great, great bad guy crew. Uh, I, I have to say, because we're on that note, um, I don't care for Duggery Scott's performance in this. Sure. Uh, I don't really like Ambrose in the sense I think he's the weakest villain of the Mission Impossible franchise. More than John Boyd? In not in the sense of performance, but as like what he means in the story. I think that like Wally, I you're right about the biosite thing and like outthinking Ethan in that regard, but he feels outside of that scene uh rather dumb. For his uh, the way he goes about his his plans and how he like a, a great example is when Stamp does have the Ethan mask on the fact that he doesn't catch on to it when he can't speak uh, that that the scene doesn't move quicker to make Ethan have to move and get the thing out of there that that wouldn't be the way he caught on before he shoots the shit out of him I hear that I see I don't view I I view that as a character flaw not a not a negative of the movie sure because he is an asshole and he's all about getting his rocks off. He wanted to kill Ethan so bad. He was blinded that it wasn't his. That it wasn't. I I I hear you on everything that like is about like the the, the dark idea of Ethan as uh, represented by Ambrose, and it, it's there, but it isn't there enough for me in this movie. Sure. It's not. He's not developed enough. The idea of him uh, betraying the IMF and like a, a, a history behind them. Um, 
it 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 he doesn't impress me and he doesn't connect for me. Sure. Uh, so like it, I, I'm not saying like oh it's an objective thing. It is subjective, and for me, uh, I don't like his performance very much, um, and I don't like the character as much. Frankly, frankly to me, uh, I think he's out. He's outmatched by both uh, Richard Roxborough as Stamp and uh, Brendan Gleeson, uh, who I know is a much better actor from just everything else I've ever seen him in. John C. McCloy uh, as the the guy who runs Biosite. Uh, frankly, I wish that it was him and Richard Roxborough, like being the two main guys. Like he's his muscle and he's the guy running things, sure. and that that he was the uh, bad guy for this movie rather than. Uh, Ambrose's. I had that. Spot. I had that same thought, honestly, when when Brandon Gleason showed up in the movie. I was like, oh, you know, there's a movie over here where they, where he could have been the villain. I I'm kind of with you, Sparks, um, on on Ambrose. Part of the reason why I checked out of the film, as I mentioned up, as I mentioned a little earlier, is because I got to the point where I was like, I don't get why any of this is happening. I don't understand what you're why you're doing it, what you're doing. I'm, and, and I'm not really enjoying this performance. So I was just kind of like. Yeah, all right. How much longer till we're done? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a plot from Metal Gear Solid Five, so I was very much into mm -hmm. the idea of uh, um, um, manufacturing a virus to get the get the cure. To this is the same plot from Spider Man with Dragon's Breath. We're going to manufacture a disease, release it out into the open. We're going to uh, make a cure and make billions of dollars. This is also a, a very tropey thing, but like this, it's. It's not as as uh, I, I high get as what, other other versions of, of that. That that I think it is it because like I I recognize the trope and I and I I kind of understand on a surface level of what's happening. It's just the way it's present the package that it is presented is not strong enough for me to really care. I guess sure. is what I'm trying sure. to say. Yeah, I'm not gonna. This is not one of those movies that like I want to defend like a movie that's good. I'm just it was easier for me to accept the things because I, this movie is. I mean, you guys watched the movie. Like, I'd rather just accept it than than not accept. Yeah, you, it. Yeah, you're 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 maybe meeting the movie on its level in a way that I I frankly just can't. That's fair. Um, yeah. And like, I I can't and I can't tell you if it's entirely pacing or it's editing or it's writing or uh, performance. It it could be a different factor. It's all, at all of different them. points. It, no, it is all of it. Um, depending on what point of the film it's in. Um, I I don't. It. it Ambrose, uh, some of the, some of the, I like, uh, let me find a positive. I like the uh, bit where he wants to take off uh, uh, Stamp's finger because he's like, I, I know what kind of show I'm running and that kind of thing. Like it's, it's one of the things where I think, I wish he just had a little bit more identity. Uh, and I feel like because of the amount that you get him working with Tandy Way Newton, you should have more of that. And I don't think it's there. I don't think it's there all the way. Yeah. Um, on that note, I really love Tandy Way Newton. Um, it's I, I love her dearly. I'm devastated that after, and I love that she makes the choice to inject herself. That yeah. is like a moment of agency for her. Yeah. And then she never speaks again for the rest of the movie. Doesn't say a single word. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that stinks. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't want her to die because, like, I didn't think that they would do a thing where, oh, Tom Cruise is going to shoot her to save her. Like, I didn't think they would do that. I would be okay if she was going to commit suicide to save, basically save the world. Yeah. Because that would have given her agency, too. But then they also don't do that. Um, she's she's such an incredible talent. Um, yes. And I think she's really good in this movie. But, like, again, I've watched I've watched interviews, like, uh, talk about this movie. Like, she had a bad time on this movie. 
Um, just because, you know, being in the, this came out in 2000, but, you know, like the late nineties and just being a woman in the industry, especially a, a woman of color. Yes. She was very young at the time too. So like, uh, t Tom Cruise, uh, was very stressed to make this the best sequel possible. So like, it's partially on him, but it's like, she also said it's not his fault. He was just, he was doing his best, you know, you know, it was the industry and stuff. So like, it was the, it's uh, unfortunate, you know, it's the, this the scene where she, where they first meet that I think she was talking about was really uncomfortable for her. And they tried like role reversal and it didn't work. And like there's, there it just wasn't working for them on an actor level. Yeah. And I, this is like where the movie really lost me the most. Uh, it, it's the stuff where like, he's kind of just like stalking her and it's mm -hmm. really weird. And like, I understand like you're trying to like uh, recruit her as like an agent, the beginning, the beginning part, yeah, yeah. but like the stuff, like the car scene while a good stunt is, insane yes like she almost she just straight up tries to kill him and i'm like is and, and but it's like sexy it's like we're sexy spies but I'm like it, that's attempted murder it shouldn't have needed that whole extra section um like we should have just gone the the pacing this is a great example of the pacing in the movie being wrong is like i think the in the tub stuff you you go from there and that beat of engaging with her to the anthony hopkins scene and we spend way too much time on the him and her just talking before we even get to it's like 35 minutes into the movie when anthony hopkins says this is the mission yeah um and like that is too long it's yeah. just too long i agree i do think i we could trim the movie still but it is an important fact that like he has to know her and sleep with her and then anthony hopkins like knew that was counting on that to get her into the entire operation but like yeah 35 minutes is way too long to start the actual mission of the movie yeah. But all but all that legwork needed to happen, just tighten it up. Just yeah, crunch those. Numbers. Yeah, I think I think that it it just takes way too long to get us there. Um, and I think there's frankly a better way to have written it to have it already exist. Like you know, you could already establish that he was he was involved with her or something, and that like he he'd already been with her because she left Ambrose or because they also had a previous relationship. Like there's just ways to get this more efficiently. Yeah, and it's sloppy. It just feels sloppy. Uh, getting all the way up to the Hopkins. We just we just don't need twenty minutes. Exposition. Twenty minutes of them just like being sexy together. Like that's yeah. a large part of the movie. And like again, like I love sexy people. Like they're both hotties, but like so much of the movie, it's just them like staring at each other for like. Yes. Yeah, come on. Now uh, I will put out a positive related to that, which is that after he gets the mission statement from Hopkins because of their relationship, it is one of my, I do think this is one of the core parts of who Ethan is. And it is functionally something I appreciate at least being in this movie because it does, I think again, continue a consistency about who his character is, which is that he, he really doesn't want her to be involved. He doesn't want her in danger. This is very important to him. Yeah. And when he has the, it's it, when he has the line where he says, would it make you feel better if I didn't want you to yes. do this? And she says, yes, much. And then he shouts, then, then feel, feel better. better. That's and a he's good very scene. clearly upset. Like that is, that is a fundamental truth of who Ethan Hunt is and how he feels about, other people being involved and put in danger on his name. Yeah. Uh, and that part works for me. Yeah. I love anytime um, Ambrose is disguised as Ethan because it's Tom Cruise getting to be a little nasty. And I like when he has a scowl on his face because I think he's good at it and he's not, he doesn't get to be a bad guy enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sparks, last night, little inside baseball, you talked about a little bit about something about Ethan's character in this film feeling different than the others. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? there's this uh part of this is i think this is the one that takes him too close to trying to be american james bond oh yeah yeah as a sure. character and some of that's like the the sexiness with the ladies but some of that is like 
I think the only way that anything is even kind of recognizable about this being Ethan Hunt and not just Tom Cruise plays American James Bond is because Tom Cruise made a choice to make sure that that stayed there. And it, those moments where I see who Ethan Hunt is, as we know him from the previous movie and in the rest of the franchise, it, are few or far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I also felt that they were people's um, perception of Ethan. Yeah, is a little strange considering we only have the first film to go off of. You know how there's you know how there's the Austin Powers movie where Tom Cruise is playing Austin Powers. Yes. Mm-hmm. It yeah. feels so directly like parroting this specific movie. Um, like it is this specific idea of the uh, spy that Tom Cruise has played, and that is not to me who Ethan Hunt is in the franchise as a whole. And we again, and also again, remember this movie came out. This was also after Goldeneye before the next James Bond movie. So like the, the idea of wanting like, Hey, we, we need a cool action spy man. Let's turn mission impossible a little, maybe more into a little bit more James Bond. Totally makes sense from the producers, producer Mm -hmm. angle. Uh, again, it's, it's cynical and shitty. Maybe uh, again, I got got sick motorcycle fights in here, but like maybe don't completely change the trajectory of a franchise uh, once it started. I think I think the key thing being just go from Mission Impossible one. What is absolutely critical about Ethan is that he cared about the people that were work that he was working with, regardless of if like the John Foy performance doesn't deliver that back to him. Yeah. He cares about the people he works with and that matters. And in this movie, he doesn't care about Ambrose. He doesn't care about uh, the the other ways that the, the people who would have been associated with him in the IMF would know anything about this. He cares about Luther. Uh, he cares. He cares about Luther, and he cares about Tandy Way. But it it does feel still even against what Tom Cruise is trying to perform in a sexualized way, like a way where she's being reduced down to an object. Yeah. Regardless of how much Tom Cruise is clearly trying to play away from that. That is in this script. And yeah. That is in this movie structure, Ooh. and it and it's just not who Ethan is. Yeah, when you see him in the first one or the ones after, he's just so much a person who cares about people. This is also the Mission Impossible f- franchise is very interesting because it's not like a franchise where oh, a movie comes out in '96, the sequel comes out a year later. This one comes out four years later with like with the same one of the same writers but like an entirely different creative team like besides that like you know do director and stuff like that and then it's how, how when does three come out like six i think so yeah six more years later for the next sequel that's that's like 10 years for three movies like that's not that's not typical right so like there's no like through line idea of what the franchise should be until i think three and success of three really um because like this one, like it doesn't feel like that first movie whatsoever, except that it has the same character. <coughs> who doesn't feel like the same character at all? Yeah. He opens up and he's like a rock star. He's like Tom Cruise said the 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 best way for me to reintroduce him is to be free climbing. Uh, that's where he has it in life. Like he's not the same Ethan. I'm like, I sure I get it, but like you feel like a different character. Yeah. You feel like more like a Mr. Rockstar instead of like team player uh, spy man. Yes. Um, and again, like they're just trying to make a different movie. Uh, it didn't didn't totally work. Yes. Great action movie. Like not a great Mission Impossible movie, maybe. All right. Anything else you wanna 
talk about yeah, with I've that got, one? I've got a couple. Um, I do like do Ethan it. giving Ambrose shit for being stupid and killing the scientist who had Chimera in him because he's not good at the mission shit. Yeah. I yep. just wish there was more of that development about their... Frankly, it's the fact that they don't have enough screen time with each other. They have the one scene where they're talk, shouting at each other in Biosite, and that's kind of it as far as like dialogue between the two of them. And so everything about like what their history is with each other is told through us in exposition or just vaguely hinted at, but it's not developed. The, the, the only exhibition we get about them is that oh yeah he's doubled me a couple times i didn't like his vibe that's that's all we get i know he's quick on the gun and he likes to lay some bodies down yeah like and it's just it's there's so much more you could have done for how these two like i'm trying to think of a good parallel but there is one of like when someone's met their match because like they're they're so intimately familiar yeah with what they do and who they are another mission impossible movie maybe (laughs) another mission impossible movie um uh, Fast and e- Furious movie, maybe even even like yeah, you know, it, it, it's just it's just like this idea has been executed much cleaner and and better and with more depth for the character and like it should be something that develops Ethan that another I- IMF agent who would be connected to him so much so that he would be able to impersonate him uh, has betrayed yeah IMF again. That's like, you know, the foundation of what we have for this character is a movie where he was betrayed by an IMF agent and his team got lost because of it. And now a movie where the guy who pretends to be him for missions has now betrayed the IMF. And like, you kind of got to look at that through a certain lens as a character and analyze it. And this movie's just not interested in doing that with Ethan Hunt, which any other Mission Impossible movie, as we'll see down the road, absolutely would be. Yeah, it definitely feels like, again, hiring John Woo, it definitely feels like we want we want to turn this into a big action franchise, right? Um, and like again, like I, I think the action in the three is really good, but uh, the the story stuff in between, it's like they're having the one guy write this movie. Uh, you should have got David 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 Nett back. Maybe he maybe he was the guy to wrangle in that first script. <laughs> Um, this is some of the this is some of the really bad slow mo in this movie the the kind where like it doesn't mean anything it's just a guy falling to the ground and dropping his gun like it's a guy who I don't even know the name of we're yeah. just showing it for some reason and like it it's not it's not well interspersed and it's not well set up um, and like I said John Woo has done this kind of stuff better in other places and right. this before is just, and after and this is just not one of the finer outings for this kind of method uh, it, it, it also just like it, for me it doesn't work the way that like his camera pull-ins usually would um, the, the 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 it just comes off as hokey it feels totally inconsistent with some of the like more grand setup shots that he'll do or some of the transitions like the the dress transition when they go to spain in the beginning of the movie is such such a clean looking thing and then you get these like not good broken camera pull-ins that that are supposed to heighten the drama and like i don't care so i looked at the editor for this movie and has two editors one who doesn't have a wikipedia page and the other who does and he's an incredibly he's done a lot of great work so and he's worked with uh, John Woo and and like Michael Bay and Tony Scott in the past. So, like he's an a- he's an editor for action movies. But there was also another guy who worked on it who I can't find any info for. So I'm curious if there was like a second edit again that first three and a half hour cut. Like I'm curious if like oh we gotta we gotta chop this up. It feels like there has to be because there's just choices in here that don't make sense. I can give you a great example of the 180 degree rule that I was talking about. It's a scene where Ambrose is coming down on the knife on Ethan. And you are following on one side of them yep. uh, for that whole fight. But the moment it shows the shot where the CGI knife is above Tom's eye, you are suddenly on the other side of his head. 
like completely the polar opposite. It's jarring and it's confusing. And then you immediately revert back and then you immediately revert back again. And like, it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I want to talk about uh, that stunt real quick on how uh, uh, Tom Cruise has always wanted to die since the early, since the early days. Um, that knife scene is mostly 90, 95% pr uh, uh, practical, except for the one shot of CG for some reason. But that is a real knife that is on a string that falls to Tom Cruise's face one inch from his eye. And it actually falls one inch to his eye. Uh, he really wanted it to happen. Second, it has enough tension on it so Doug Ray Scott can put all the pressure he can on it to make it look real, which is something you're not supposed to do as a stunt person. If it, it's very stupid, you're supposed to be pulling it and you still get the same reaction that you're putting pressure on it. So Tom Cruise could have almost died wanting to be really cool. Uh, I'm glad you didn't, Tom. You got better about your stunts. Don't be so stupid about them. <laughs> that was I, when I saw that video. I'm like, I cannot believe the, st the studio was okay with that. He's really wanted to die since since his 20s. That's crazy. That's why he has his own insurance company. Uh, real quick, just breezing through some the the doves are a lot. John Woo, uh, baby. The sexist dialogue from both Hopkins and Ambrose about, oh, um, yeah. about women being deceitful and yeah, fickle that really, really stinks. I mean, like yep. Ambrose can be the villain. And so like, that's one thing, but the fact that Hopkins get, does it too is like, boy, howdy rough. Uh, this starts to feel just like the perspective that you want to share on women. Um, yeah. And when you don't write the female character have to have a lot of agency on her own, it's a real bummer. Yeah. Um, it's so so dramatic with the fake Ethan reveal of stamp that the, the freaking choir coming up. I love the, it. Uh, it it just it doesn't land for me. I'm not with the movie at that That's point. That's fair. That's um, fair. I'm I was writing. I was hooting and or hollering. I'm not I'm not writing with it the way I wish I was. Um, there's way too many repeated shots in the edits. I know this is something that John Woo does, but here it's just not working most of the time. Again, this could be an editing problem, but like some of the repeated shots are like this is just breaking the the action in a way that doesn't feel right mm -hmm. um on a positive note i do really like the build of like uh what he does with the shot composition and the edit with the stomping feet and going up the stairs for tandy way you have the dancers in yes. spain this is the beginning of the movie and you've got like them stomping their feet and you're also being intercut with tandy way traveling up the stairs and it's a good like tension builder of where are they going and that kind of thing i think that's really well done Ooh. like yeah. john Woo's not asleep at the wheel here it's just not a full vision yeah um i love the scene again um when they're entering biosec and it's not a shot of them it's always it's the shot of them reflecting through the floor so it's it's, it's their full mm -hmm. bodies yeah, but it's, it's always a mere shot. shot i'm like it's a great damn shot. john you bring it in yeah. bring it more please um yeah uh that's that's i've covered it yeah i that final so, action scene it is just completely ridiculous um first the motorcycle part then this and then this big drop kicking each other on a beach uh i just think it's totally bananas um and like yeah like i'm not I didn't I'm say, not like I'm not checked out of the movie, but I'm just here having a good time, just watching fun things happen. Yeah, I didn't I didn't say anything about it, but obviously I love Ving Rhames in this movie. Oh my god, it's eight hundred dollars Gucci shoes. Uh, I really I really like Ving Rhames in this movie. Also, I the the last action scene. I gotta tell you, man, uh, when when he when he died when he gets killed on the rock killed on the rock. I was like, oh good, we're done. Thank heavens. And then he's alive again. And I'm like, just, just be done with this man. But yeah. that said, I may have been checked out of the movie at that point. I do think it's kind of cool when he kicks the gun up out of the sand that come out of nowhere. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's also, it's also, again, like, this is one of those things where, like, not developing the character very well and, like, this is not, to me, what the Mission Impossible franchise is because most of the films do not end with, like, a brawl. 
uh, necessarily. Um, and like John Woo's usually pretty good at this, but to me, this this doesn't land because why is Ambrose going after Ethan? This like he's kind of already lost. Like I, the only thing you're going to gain from going is either killing him or or getting killed. Yeah, and like he could yeah. he could bail um, and and live to do pull a scheme another day. And like it's it's bizarre, and we don't know enough about him, and nor do I feel like there's enough of a relationship there to feel the conviction to like I absolutely just want you dead at this point. And, and I wish that was there. I wish that was more present in who Ambrose is that he's like, at this point, I only want it to be you or me and I don't care which way it goes. And, and I, I wish that we hit that level with the character. Sure. All right. Well, why don't we do this then Ben? Yeah. This was the, not the only mission possible you saw, but one of the only mission possibles you've seen prior to this, right? This is the, my first one. Oh gosh. Who rate it. <laughs> Oh, five. Ah, that's actually right. I, I don't I don't have nostalgia goggles for this movie. If I have nostalgia goggles for anything, it's just that soundtrack. Um, because the soundtrack was in my dad's car when I was younger and I was he would of course he wanted to play the two songs I disappear and um take a look around by Limp Biscuit, first one by Metallica. And other than that, that's all. That this was my I didn't take anything away from it as the little kid. The only the only scene that I remember when I first saw this movie as a little kid is when Ethan takes the sunglasses off and tosses them and it explodes. That was the only thing I remember and how it goes into the Mission Impossible theme. The rest of the movie, I'm like, yikes. I mean, good action, yes, but story drags. And it's just, I there was there was all there was definitely a point in this movie where I'm just like, be over. I'm done. <laughs> I want to play uh, Tears. I was I was this close to go upstairs and get my social. I can't do it. I got I gotta gotta power through this movie. Ryan or Sparks, rate it. I'll give it a six point five. I think uh, it's got a lot of really really fun stuff. Uh, I do like the villain. Um, it's just unfortunately one of those things where like you and he made fa- he made Face Off before this, which is so interesting because like so it's not his first like American movie. Mm. Um, but it definitely feels like he. He didn't have full reign to be himself like he did on Face Off because Face it Off is, the one is a weird ass movie. It is the one that made him quit Hollywood, though. Yeah, yeah. And, go back. And, then, and he's made nothing but like awesome like Chinese epics, like Red, like the Red Cliff Parts One and Two. It's like a four hour long epic. Um, yeah, uh, six point five. Like I almost gave it a seven, but like I'm never gonna watch this again. And I generally like to watch seven, so like I'll watch the fun stuff on YouTube again. Like I, I think uh, I think some of that stuff's real, real fun. I love those. Sparks. Uh, being pretty generous, it's probably a six. Um, there, there's, there's, you know, things to like in it, but like, I, I, it just doesn't vibe for me. And I, I will admit that like a fair bit of it is like already committed to an idea of what I like about Mission Impossible. And, and most of that is not in this movie, um, which isn't 100% fair to it, but it is my experience viewing it. And so like, uh, it, 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 I, I wish I liked it more. I feel like there were ways to execute better on it, especially, but whether it's for John Wu or just for the story it wants to tell and it's it doesn't get there and I don't vibe with it the way I wish I did and this is the second time I've gone into it just really wanting to give it a chance and give it its most fair shake and and like every time I think oh man I'm gonna I'm gonna like just like you said Brandon like ah this is the thing that I'm gonna latch on to and like I do really like this about it and then it, it hits me with a thing where I'm like I just don't give a shit I just I just I wish I gave a shit and I don't give a shit um 
one other note I forgot uh, is that I do really like when um, Ethan pulls the the hospital bed scene with Brendan Gleeson's character McCloy and, mm-hmm. and it makes him think that he just like fell asleep in the limo and, that's an awesome and had a messed up dream about the guy he got killed. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, I think that's that's really effective uh, and just really cool. Um, and I really like that. And again, like Brendan Gleeson's such a talent that it, it's one of those things where I'm kind of thrown by the fact that he's not given more to Well, do. here's the thing, y'all. Brendan Gleeson was not the star, even though he's an older man already, he is not the star that he is today. He is still a small ass actor in the year 2000. No, no, no. That's what I mean. It's like, it's, I'm, I'm fully aware. I am bringing like later knowledge going back to a movie at a time period when it is. And like, I've seen Brendan Gleeson so much more where I know what he's capable of. And I'm going here and I'm like, man, if only he were the, like, and I get that. That's not the, that's not the time of his star power. Um, it's just it, it, what, what is on the plate here is not for me. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I'll give it a six, um, but a more generous six. Um, I'm not quite, I'm not quite uh, at Ryan's peak, but there is, things that i do like in this movie enough to be like yeah i i don't i don't truly hate it um once i get into like five territories i kind of feel like i start to hate a movie um so i i think i'll give it a six yeah it's an all right time i don't i i like ryan said i'll never watch it again but yeah shall we book club Mm -hmm. 